yet another another episode of behind the lens and of course today is a very special day out there in the zeitgeist it is national radio day and for those of you that don't know adrenaline radio was actually one of the first internet radio stations in los angeles that picked up where traditional radio ended uh so it is National Radio Day, so dig out your radios, be they satellites, old transistors. Um, and yes, I have several of them, as anyone that knows me can attest to. Um, but it's a good day for radio, and uh, long, long may it rain in its various forms. Um, I'm thrilled about today's show. Um, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Behind the Lens, and I am Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can read my movie reviews and interviews in print and online in the U.S. and around the globe 24-7. Also on BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, you will find me right here at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AdrenalineRadio.com. And hey, I know some of you out there uh, tune in and watch the Facebook live stream. If you're listening and you just want to see a a lovely tablescape with wonderful swag for Mile 22, as well as Disney's Christopher Robin, you can actually pop on over on Facebook to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, and you can watch our live stream. And I know that... I know Emily's going to be watching, and I'm pretty sure my friend back east, Laura, may be watching again. I know she tunes in as often as she can. Um, So welcome to new listeners, old listeners, and uh, we hope you'll keep listening and check out everything that's also on the BehindTheLensOnline.net website as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at BTL Radio Show. Or me at Movie Shark D, uh, and then on Facebook behind the lens, or me, Debbie Lynn Elias. So you can find us everywhere. We've got a YouTube channel. We're on Tumblr. We are on. Yes, I actually do have an Instagram account. It's very hard keeping track of all of them. But today's show, it's kind of a mix and match. I've been doing teasers about some of uh, what I hope to get to today, which has to do with the the new film Searching, which once again, we're talking about screen life, screen reality, the film language, that uh, visionary, the incredible Timur Bekmambetov has developed and is now mentoring multiple directors as they embark into the screen life world of filmmaking. Um, You have heard excerpts of my interviews with Steve Susco, who wrote and directed Dark Web, which is still out and about uh, in theaters. But now there's a new one coming up uh, called Searching. 
stars Deborah Messing, John Cho, and it's written and directed by Anish Shiganti. Um, hopefully we'll get to to hear some of uh, what Anish and I had to talk about shortly, as well as what Timur and I talked about. Uh, you know, Timur, all of our reg- regular listeners know that Timur is... Okay, Pam is typing something really weird here. She is distracting me. I don't know what she's doing. Um, now, Timur, as so many of our regular listeners know, Timur and I go back quite a number of years, and he has been a loyal guest and a and a and a true friend. Uh, calling in from Moscow, calling from Italy. Um, but this time Timur and I actually got to sit down in person the other week. So hopefully you'll get to hear some of that as well. But first let's start with mile 22. Mile 22 is, I believe the fourth collaboration between director Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg. Berg is known beyond a shadow of a doubt for what is called combat cinema, um, run and gun fluid, handheld. It's very kinetic. Um, and it, for action sequences, it is beyond effective. Um, the problem that I have encountered with Pete's movies, the past few, especially the ones he's done with Mark character falls short with mile 22. No doubt about it. Action is supreme, but then we have a, we run into a problem again with character. Uh, the script is written by Leah Carpenter. It is an espionage thriller, uh, black ops teams. Uh, we've got intrigue going on in the U.S. and then overseas in an Asian country. Uh, we've got spies, spies, double spies, triple spies. Um, and all of that sounds really good until you see it all executed. I cannot, the work of the editors is amazing with your action sequences as we go through this cat and mouse game of traveling 22 miles to get an informant who has turned over a computer disk that is actually degenerating as the clock ticks down. But it holds the information of where radioactive cesium is located with enough to take out an entire country. Um... 22 and Mark Wahlberg is Jimmy Silva. He and his team are the ones responsible for getting him from the U S embassy to an airstrip to get him out of, uh, out of the country into the United States so that he will then give up the password for this disc before it disintegrates, unless somebody can crack it a little bit of convoluted stuff, but you get the name. It's like any spy thriller, You've got the cat and mouse. You've got mm, this one and that one, and who's playing the, who's telling the truth, who's not. Ambiguity abounds. But the script is so short on character development and dialogue execution that that's where it falls short, with a couple exceptions. John Malkovich is outstanding, amazing. Ronda Rousey is the one person as part of the black ops team rousey as her character sam snow is we see growth in her as an actress since she did expendables three we already knew that she was fully she 
physicality she has down. We already knew that she also handled weaponry and armament extremely well from from her work in Expendables 3. However, she has only improved with Mile 22. But where she truly succeeds is she really delivers a character that has some texture, has some depth, has some a variety of emotions. She is not emotionless, nor is she just one note of a, one particular emotion. Truly, the most well-developed character next to the protagonist. And I've got to say, the protagonist in Mile 22 is, with beyond a shadow of a doubt is one of the finest eco-UAs. You know him from the Raid franchise, a martial arts champion. He is brilliant. He plays the informant named Ilnor. The film is worth the price of admission just to see him in action uh, with, one, one of the most spectacular martial arts sequences I've ever seen on film that takes place early in the film, and then a third act sequencing again where he teams up. He, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Rousey, and also uh, Lauren Cohen uh, are in a hotbed situation with the mazes and twists and turns within a hotel and civilians at play. Um, film is worth seeing for action, worth seeing for Rousey, for Uways uh, and for Malkovich. But again, I am so sad that we're short on character. And as you listen to this excerpt of the press day, um, I had a chance to ask Pete Berg about finding or trying to find the balance of character and developing character when you're, you're doing this running gun, this combat cinema. And as you will hear Mark Wahlberg interject, this seems to be... Um, a mantra uh, between the two of them. And immediately after that, you're going to, you're going to hear Rhonda and Carlo Alban talk about the training and the armament training that they went through to bring authenticity to their roles in mile 22. Take a listen. Pete, I want to ask you, you are at the forefront of combat cinema for lack of a better phrasing, uh, in terms of the verite nature, the handheld, the free movement, the fluidity of what we see unfold. But also, because of the intensity uh, and the very nature of the action and the stunt choreography that you are engaged in, how does that impact shooting in terms of dialogue and actor performance with their character arcs in order to capture the reality on film? What are character arcs? Is that, character? that thing I keep trying to stress to you. Oh, character arc. They keep telling me I got to do that more. That. More character. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I um, you know, as someone that grew up acting and was, I think probably my one of my initial ends obviously was through acting. Um, I tried to be very cognizant of character and character arc, um, and you know. Sometimes I succeed and, and sometimes I fail and some, you know, oftentimes somewhere in between. But I think um, that, you know, people ask why, why we keep working together. And, you know, Mark, for me, is a kind of, he falls into a sweet spot for me where I can trust 
him to either figure out, you know, things that I'm not seeing as far as character, whether it's Marcus Sattrell or Mike Williams or Silva, the character he's playing in this. Um, uh, he, he, he's very vigilant about coming to me uh, and, and making sure that I'm paying attention. If, I, if I've taken my eye off it because I'm focused on some action or some improv or some, you know, whatever gets my attention, Mark's very good at kind of, in, a, in, a, in the right way, saying, you know, maybe you should look at this. Maybe we make sure that this is arcing well. And also, he's, 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 he's very um, selfless because he'll do it with other characters. He'll come up to me and say, you know, I think this, he should say this, or he should do this. And, and that's not, the, the, you know, that that's a, that helps for, for, to me make, create a partnership where, you know, my uh, these films might not be as, char- as rich in character as, as other filmmakers and more action-heavy or, you know, more, more, I don't know, testosterone and adrenalized and all that. But I think one of the things I value about Mark is that he'll constantly be like, yo, character, 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 character. And that creates a balance that works, you know, for me aesthetically. You know, a question for all of the actors because this is so fight intensive, it is also armament intensive. What kind of training did you go through to learn how to handle all of the various weaponry that is placed in your hands? Because the authenticity of your stances, of your execution, of actually shooting is just phenomenal. And I know it's tricky to learn all that. So I'm curious what kind of training you had. Uh, as Lauren said earlier, we trained with a Navy SEAL and an Army Ranger, and we spent a couple of weeks in this abandoned hotel uh, receiving tactical training where we were actually taught to clear rooms. They put targets, uh, they put targets up on the walls. Uh, we were shooting blanks, and we kind of we actually learned to operate as a unit um, in the same way that they would operate. And the yeah, the purpose of that was to make us look good um, and also to teach us safety. Um, to teach us how to use the weapons uh, safely and responsibly. And, uh, you know, it was a big responsibility um, on many levels uh, because we're handling weapons, obviously, and we didn't want anybody to get hurt, but uh, also because we were representing these members of the military um, and they were there training us and they were aware watching us and uh, and they're going to be watching this film. And so, you know, we just want to make sure to make them proud. And... It kind of ruined action movies a little bit because now anytime I watch something, I'm like, oh, well, they're not holding their weapon properly or their fingers on the trigger. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, shooting for Pete is different than anything I've ever experienced before. And so um, we couldn't really go in, like, memorizing, like, this is what this gunfight's going to be and this is what this fight scene's going to be and let's learn this this sequence like it was we don't know what the hell Pete is going to do so we're just gonna just teach you concepts and actually learning how to to do it so we could be ready and whatever he throws at us so um it took a, a lot more time and dedication than just learning like specific scenes and stuff like that but um I think it was just so much more fun and interesting and we actually got to walk away with a skill instead of you know a memorized page you know and that's something that I really appreciated that Rhonda pointed that out is that they walked away with a skill. It isn't often that you hear actors talking about a new skill that they learned. Uh, I know Juan Pablo Raba has discussed that in the past, though. 
about learning a skill when new uh, types of action or weaponry come into his performances because he so often plays a heavy. Um, but I really appreciated that Rhonda pointed that out because that is so important that you do learn new skills and you take them with him with you. And uh, in all honesty, I can't wait to see what she does next uh, after mile 22. But again, for action, it is fabulous to see Eco Uways. It is worth the price of admission. But Rousey Malkovich, strongest members of the cast, best character performances, and the ones that have some depth to them. And Mark Wahlberg, he gives new meaning to the word intensity. Uh, so Mile 22 is in theaters now. Check it out. But if you're looking for something story-heavy on espionage, go get a Tom Clancy book and read it. <laughs> right now, though, we're going to switch gears. And I am so, 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 so excited. Daniel Adams is with us. Hello. Hello, Debbie. How are you? I am so thrilled to be talking to you again. I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> It's been it's been hours. I know, I know. So I mean, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today, especially talking about a film that I love. It's always so much fun. You do? I do love this film. I do. And it's beyond the poster with all the blue and Gabriel and Gabriel Burns' blue eyes. You know, I'm going to keep saying that because that just is so visually striking. Um, <laughs> that that's the entree. He into does the, have blue eyes. <laughs> and then you dress him in blue in the film, and the and the one sheet, uh, the movie poster is so beautiful with vibrant shades of blues. And well, that that was all done specifically to lure you in, actually. Well, you know what? It worked. It worked. <laughs> Which means I'm so glad. I'm gonna. <laughs> Which means I'm even happier that you moved this film over the past 20 years. You moved it from New York to L.A. and made it an L.A. minute. This film has had right. uh, this film has had the greatest journey in the world. Tell tell our lovely listeners about this journey. I've heard there have been lengthy journeys to get films made before. This one, 20 years or so. Changing your coast, you know, it's it's fascinating. Well, I originally wrote the script um, with uh, Larry Ratso Sloman. Uh, Ratso is famous for being the editor of National Lampoon and ghostwriting the Howard Stern books and so on and so forth. And uh, he um, uh, he and I wrote it twenty years ago, and we tried to get it cast and. Uh, Every actor looked at it and said, uh, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. <laughs> it's too outrageous. And uh, I can't put myself in these situations and so on and so forth. It's just that the film is, uh, is, is just too uh, far off the edge. Uh, but um, 20 years later, um, the um, time caught up with us. And w- what's in the movie now is is not unlike what's uh, on cable TV these days. So uh, it, it, it's interesting how the medium and the, uh, you know, it's, the envelope has been pushed far enough that it caught up with uh, what we wrote 20 years ago. And then, uh, you know, 
we had a uh, uh, we, we we so but we shelved it. We you know I remember years ago even a a, a friend at the time uh, you know Chris Walken read the script and uh, twenty years ago and he he was one of the ones who just said oh my gosh I just can't do this. <laughs> Chris Walken. But, uh, Chris Walken said I can't yeah. do this. Whoa! Yeah, I know it's it's pretty pretty crazy. But uh, so uh, now, uh, you know, we decided um, be, because of the subject matter, um, you know, as soon as Trump got elected, we figured, uh, uh, oh, my God, we got to get this off the shelf because uh, it talks about, uh, you know, the superficiality of celebrity and how uh, people, uh, you know, take uh, take celebrity as as sort of uh sort of a reason for taking people in a le- legitimately and uh, without actually going into depth and doing any analysis about, you know, who they are and what they are. And, and as a result, um, you know, we, um, uh, you know, we have who we have, uh, you know, in office right now. And uh, so it's a, it was a subject matter that we thought really was important to, um, and the fact that time caught up with us, and it would, would have been a lot easier to uh, get it made now than, than twenty years ago. So, well, you, uh, one of the great thi- one of the great. So here things, we are, blue of, eyes. <laughs> but of course, one <laughs> of the great things about about this script and this story, Dan, is that you never politicize it by the very nature of the subject matter and the situations. Well, that you and Radso have created, that says everything without ever mentioning politics, political figures, or anything else. The situations well, it, are exactly. very timeless in that respect. It, 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 exactly. And, I mean, it go, goes along with my philosophy. I mean, you can be political without being political. And, um, in fact, uh, if you are political, it, it sort of, uh, you know, withers into journalism. And we're, we're not journalists. We're, we're you know, filmmakers. Uh, you know, as a filmmaker, you try and be an artist. And artist's job is to sort of um, uh, uh, shed light on the human condition. And uh, you do that. If, if, if you become blatantly political, you, you, to me, you cross a line. Um, and uh, you, you become more fact-based and, and journalistic. And that's... That's not the medium of film uh, as a as uh, as a, drama- a dramatic format. It's uh, it, it shouldn't be, and because the, the, the second you get too political, you start you start to alienate people, mm-hmm. and that's not the point. The point is to is to get draw people in to a compelling story, and have them have them live it and feel it, and then and then glean something from it at the end. And if you get too political, um, it it becomes something different. So that that's not the job of, of the uh, filmmaker. The job of the filmmaker is to is to talk about human nature and and how it manifests and and so forth. And and so yeah. So I so so I, I would never get that blatantly political. On the other hand, this is probably the most blatant film I've ever, <laughs> I've ever made. <laughs> Mostly they're they're a lot more subtle. So, well, uh, but this well, this one sort of hits you in the face, but not in a political way. Well, I mean, you know my love for the Lightkeepers. That is, I, I that is just such an exquisite well, film, um, visually, tonally, performance-wise, just absolutely outstanding. 
you know, with Blythe Danner, Richard Dreyfuss, and Bruce Stern, uh, you, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to top that grouping. Uh, and with a, yeah. with the subtler, softer story like that. But then, of course, you also did, you know, Primary Motive a number of years ago. That's true. That's true. And that one had a little <laughs> had a little more bite to it, I would say. But uh, not it did. not as much bite as an LA Minute has, and you know, I'm, no. I'm curious how you and Ratso, when you were writing this script and then making the changes to turn it from New York Minute to an LA Minute, um, wh- how you chose the topics that you address. Because here we have Gabriel Byrne's character as Ted Gould, a man who's on top of the world, a best-selling author, has more money than God. Um, and we have the young wannabe talent, Velocity, who Velocity, who lives by the seat of her pants, doesn't, you know, squats in places when she needs to for a place to live, believes in performance art, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And somewhere in there, you start addressing the haves, the have-nots, greed, um, redemption. How did you go about, the two of you go about honing in on presenting, on the issues to present, and then how to present them? Well, uh, it's interesting. I, 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 you, you point out the, the, uh, the complete, utter uh, uh, polar opposite ends of the spectrum on both characters. But the interesting thing is we, we always approached it with the fact that one, each character wanted to be the other one. Mm-hmm. In other words, Gabriel's character wanted to be Kiersey's character and vice versa. But it was, it was never, um, but it's, it was never, um, uh, openly stated. Right. It was just, that, that's who, that's who they wanted to be. Uh, for all of Kiersey's characters, you know, Velocity's talk of being a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a struggling artist that has to maintain her integrity and so forth. She would secretly love to be as famous as Ted Gold. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Ted. Ted has beaten himself up so much because his his so-called art has, has just become uh, pulp crap. And he feels very guilty about it. And he would love to be this the young, um, uh, vibrant artist again, that he, something that he used to be, that he started out to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he started out to be um, uh, Norman Mailer, and he ended up being uh, Jackie Collins. You know? <laughs> that's, that, that's pretty much it, yeah. That, that is, yeah that's a perfect description, and, yeah. And, but if you, wanted to be, if you wanted to be, I mean, it's fine for Jackie Collins, but if you started out wa- wanting to be Norman Mailer, mm-hmm. um then obviously you're going to feel something when you're when you you ultimately didn't do it. You just you sold out, mm-hmm. and so he's got he's got huge problems as far as his conscience is concerned. Conscience is concerned, and and, uh, and so yeah, so it, it, it um, that's the that's the ultimate conflict in the film, which is one character wants to be the other one. And what's interesting is um, that. You really the meeting of the minds, uh, the the polarizing point in the middle that they both gravitate to and revolve around, is the homelessness issue. That that right. that really that's well, the, that's the thread in the middle 
that then is either going right. to the maypole, so to speak, that is going to swing you around it one way or the other. Right. And, and the other thing that addresses the other part of your earlier question, the, the um, you know, we it was originally 20 years ago, New York was the scene for sort of the downtown performance art stuff and 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 also homelessness. Uh, well, it, it continues to be a big issue, but it seemed logical because uh, to set it in L.A. now because L.A. has uh, has a huge homelessness problem now, mm-hmm. much bigger than than anywhere else. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, the mayor, um, you know, declared a state of emergency when it came to uh, the, the homeless issue. Right. And also, um, there's uh, there's a much more vibrant, you know, downtown performance art scene, you know, with UCB and so on and so forth. It's it's you know, it's a um, it's it's very hip now in LA to. Uh, uh, to be part of that scene, and that scene has pretty much all but disappeared in, in New York. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it it made much. If we're going to update it, make it more contemporary, L.A. seemed to be the uh, the place to do it mm. uh, as well. But yeah, the, as far as the homelessness issue is concerned, you know, we we pointed out without making it be a major, uh, you know, point in the film. We just it's, mm-hmm. it's the background. It's it's yeah. these people that are so concerned with their everyday lives uh, uh, that are so insignificant compared, when you think about it, compared to the uh, the tragedy that's all around them every day. Uh, and, you know, I see it. I live on the west side of L.A., and I see people in fancy cars driving by, you know, one tragic story after another with these homeless people. And if, if they just took the time to figure out, um, you know, what, you know, what's, you know, walk, talk to the homeless guy who, and and see what his problem is. You know, I mean, what what's wrong with that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and or try to do something. You know, a lot of a lot of the problems are drugs and so forth. And and uh, so, I mean, we don't we don't hammer you over the head with that issue, but it's it's always there. I'm always cutting back and forth to um, from what the what the main characters are into uh, uh, the fact that that. Ted, in his latest book, has exploited the homeless issue mm-hmm. uh, to sell books. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but say, the fact uh, that despite all that, they, it's all around them and they're doing nothing about it. Uh, so. yeah, and, and exploitation, I mean, there has to be a word stronger than that for the scenario you set <laughs> up for Ted Gold's latest book. Um, because that, it's a whopper. <laughs> it's a whopper of yeah. an idea. Just makes me wonder right, what's rattling yeah. around in that little brain of yours, Dan, uh, to come up with that. <laughs> but yeah, well, and then to, to you know when when Velocity has her big moment on TV that make that uh, catapults her into fame, uh, it's it's on one of these uh, you know morning talk shows mm-hmm. that exploit issues and 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 the topic of the day. The reason why they have Ted on is uh, it's about sex and the homelessness. <laughs> yeah, I, it, <laughs> it's a fascinating topic to, for the for the viewers. You know, you really which is, uh, <laughs> you just push the envelope, and but you push it so <laughs> that you get the satire. You're never hitting anybody over the head about anything, but at the same time, right. you're setting up scenarios that make you, as a moviegoer and a viewer, think. 
And I really like that about this film. It's funny. It is laugh-out-loud funny in so many places, starting with the opening. And let I, I just want to give everybody a warning. When you see this film and you hear the opening song and you see the opening credits, um, you may be taken a little bit aback, but you will not be disappointed. <laughs> I think that's... A, <laughs> I think that's... Well, they, a, when they, when they, Funny when the when the ad agency was was uh, uh, was was trying to come up with ideas for the for the market the film the uh, I, I threw out the the, the uh, I threw out the line um, well if if you if you love if you like the light keepers you'll hate this film oh, God. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh but you're the exception, Debbie. You uh, like I do. I like both <laughs> films, but I, I mean, just just to give you, just to give everyone a tidbit in the opening, the opening title montage of the film. You know, we are in Ted Gold's home, um, and we've got we have help, a chef and a maid that are actually, I mean, so detested they're spitting in his food before they serve it to him, and. <laughs> You can't help but laugh because, and what makes it funny is the fact that your visual tonal bandwidth of this film, the visual tone is light. The entire film has this beautiful lightness that you and your cinematographer, Denise Broussard, have put, have put together so that you've got bright colors, you've got sunshine, you've got blue skies. It's gorgeous to look at, and you don't expect to see... Actions like that taking place. You expect to see that in a darker themed film that has a visual tone that is darker as well. You just completely, you know, dichotomous juxtaposition of the two here. And it's fabulous. It works so well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Denise is uh, amazing. She's, uh, we worked together before over the years and She's uh, she's an incredible cinematographer. I really love working with her. You know, how did the two of you go about designing the whole visual look of the film? Because it is the lighting is beautifully done throughout the entire film. Uh, some of the night scenes are absolutely gorgeous, uh, but the color is always vibrant. It's rich, and of course, I will love you forever for this. You shot on thirty-five millimeter. <laughs> You shot on film. <laughs> you uh, did, but that's only because I'm a dinosaur and uh, I don't know how to shoot on anything else. Hey, there's nothing <laughs> film. I'm, I, then I'm I'm a dinosaur too. I I love <laughs> love film. I love what it delivers. I love the look you get. I love the tactile sensory experience of watching something that's been shot on film. Yeah, there's there's nothing like it. As uh, you know. Steven Spielberg said, you know, shooting on video as opposed to uh, as opposed to film is like uh, uh, painting with acrylic as opposed to oil. And uh, to me, that that says it all. But the process of 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 shooting on film is also important. Um, you know, uh, to me, uh, you don't you don't. It's easy to just uh, record on a hard drive and you record everything. You record rehearsals. You, you know, you were even if you rehearse, you know, you, or you just keep doing takes. Uh, with film, you have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse before you do a take because you have a limited amount of, of film. 
and everyone on the set appreciates that from the actors who everybody wants to rehearse and get the uh the shot and the scene right um and it's a it seems like a slower process but it's not really it um um you know you can move just as fast with film if you know what you're doing as opposed to uh you know uh, uh you know video uh shooting so um <clears throat> you just have to be a little more organized and uh but it's just to me you don't you don't it's almost time saving because you don't waste a lot of time. You're very well rehearsed before you do a take. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you don't do take after take after take. You know, I'm curious um, because one of the big things with low budget, no budget independent films is that there typically is no rehearsal time because you're working with a seasoned, a seasoned actor like Gabriel Byrne. You've also got Ed Marinaro in the cast. You've got Bob Balaban in there. These are people that have had. They come out of the era with film where you had rehearsal and film, but then they have also done work with on these smaller indie projects where you don't get rehearsal time. Was this a luxury for them? Were, yeah. they, were they impressed by this, that it's like, oh, my God, it's old school filmmaking. We get to rehearse and we're shooting on film? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, the first, first of all, um, before we even start shooting, we have some prep time, and I do go through, uh, talk a lot about the characters with each particular actor, and then I encourage them to get together uh, themselves and uh, and run lines and, and go through. Sometimes I sit on sit in on those sessions, um, but then when we're shooting, you just find time. You just, I mean, no matter what you're shooting on. Um, you just find time to rehearse, whether it's, you know, sitting in the makeup chair and talking or, um, you know, but, but, you know, or when you're running through the blocking or so on and so forth. And, and you know, sometimes you'll, you'll do a rehearsal for camera and, uh, and I'll make adjust, adjustments there and we'll run, we'll run the lines again and so forth. You just, you, it, rehearsal is just, um, you know, when, uh, is just is just finding the moment any any place anywhere that you can and that's um and it's just there's just more of an urgency urgency of it because mm-hmm. you're shooting on film and you want to know that once uh, we're actually rolling that you're we're going to get it right so it's it's more of an urgency than just sort of a relaxed like well let's just do a take and see what happens you know so it's a little different with film it's it's more appreciated mm-hmm. do you know do you follow me do you know yes. what i mean um, just like I appreciate yeah. it so much more when I see a film that is film. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, how exactly. did, yeah, me too. How did you end up with this stellar cast, uh, Dan? Because you've got, uh, as I mentioned, your veterans like Gabriel and Ed, Bob Balaban, and then up-and-comer whose star is about to explode, Kersey Clemens. And I've got to say, her real life situation is very akin to what we're seeing with her character of velocity in an LA minute. Uh, uh, no question. Yeah. No question. Um, yeah. Kiersey's, um, she's on the cusp of exploding here in her career. She's, uh, you know, she's casting the, the lead in the female lead in the flash, the female lead in the new Zorro movie. Uh, she just got cast in lady in the tramp. She's coming out in a Jason Blum film. She's the lead. Uh, in, in that, uh, and, uh, 
So, um, but as far as Gabriel is concerned, um, you know, we we sort of had an entree into Gabriel because um, my co-writer Ratso um, has known him for thirty some odd years, uh, and uh, years and years ago, when I was living in New York, my production office I had I shared with Ratso and also with um, uh, Ellen Barkin and her brother George, who was uh, and uh, uh, Ellen was married to um, to Gabriel at the time, so uh, so uh, Ratto especially got to know Gabriel back then. So so we, you know we sent him the script and he loved it and and said yes right away. And then uh, uh, same thing with Bob Balaban. Um, you know he's um, uh, uh, you know he just he just loved the script and the character. Uh, you know playing playing a uh, an agent. Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that sort of is, is a bit unscrupulous, but uh, I think I think he just he just savored the whole uh, the whole experience of doing that. So. I mean, he's just um, he's delicious doing it. He real uh, it's like yeah. Pete, I want to ask you. You what, are the what? What do we do? Pam's playing with things in there. <laughs> go, <ahead. laughs> go so. No, Bob is absolutely fabulous, and we've seen him play characters like yeah. this before, but something tells yeah. me that some of this may have come from personal experiences over the many years he's <laughs> been in this business. Well, I have to say his, his agent uh, is, is wonderful right now, so she's nothing like the character he plays. <laughs> Sarah Fargo at Paradigm is a wonderful person, uh, but and not like, not like uh, but, but I'm sure in the past Bob has, has in fact, that's one of the things he said. Uh, he 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 sort of when we were uh, rehearsing, he sort of turned to me and he said, "You know, I, I'm playing I'm playing people that we all know." Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yep." So. Well, you know that, that's and you know that's very but, key, but, but not Sarah. That's very key, Dan, uh, because as you watch this film. We all know or know of each one of these people within this canvas that you have have painted. And that's one of the things that resonates, I think, so strongly is be it through yeah. social media, be it through film, be it through, you know, whatever. But there's something about every character in on this canvas that we can all relate yeah. to. Well, the, the key to... Uh, making good satire is is sort of you you walk a line where uh, at first glance you go oh my gosh that's outrageous but then after a minute you go oh that could actually happen when satire crosses a line and you just go oh my gosh that could never happen that's when you that's when you start to lose the audience mm -hmm. and so even though it's out the, the film is outrageous there's nothing in there that wouldn't you wouldn't say that could actually happen <laughs> mm -hmm. as, as crazy as that sounds. That could actually happen. I believed every um, second. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's really the key. That's really the key to doing uh, decent satire. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that you do very keenly, and I, I have, and I didn't mention this to you the other day, but as I'm watching and I see all these little touches, like the, the credit card, uh, is from Omnivore Bank. Uh, and we have things from Urban Outdoorsmen. And the talent agency is TAA, you know. Uh, 
so it, it, all these lit <laughs> these little touches that just add so much more to this world. Um, yeah, you. I mean, you thought of everything here. <laughs> well, it's interesting. The the, uh, the urban outdoorsman I didn't come up with. That's actually a real uh, term that um, that is the PC way of 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 talking about people that are homeless. They're urban outdoorsmen. Wow. <laughs> I actually looked I actually looked it up. But you know, it actually <laughs> has a very double entendre meaning, you know. Uh you yeah. know, when you break it down and you see the characters that are unfolding. Um but I, my favorite was Omnivore <laughs> Bank though. That just <laughs> Right. <laughs> Well, we're not carnivores. We're not herbivores. We're omnivores. We eat everything. Um, Right. Bank of America. So, I mean, just, I mean, (laughs) you know, how do you think of those things as you're writing the script or are these something you come up with during the course of shooting or in pre-production when you're, you know, shot listing, you're planning your visuals, you're working with your production designer doing these little, these little touches that adds so, so much. Uh, the answer to that is both, but um, but stuff like Omnivore Bank and and Urban Outdoors that that was all in the script. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, sometimes you just come up with little things, or or an actor comes up with little things, and the the, the cool thing is if no matter how brilliant the the actor is in coming up with that stuff, I get credit for it eventually. So. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you take it where you can. The advantage get of being it. the director. <laughs> so. you, know, well, you know, satire is. Uh, but yeah, but 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 it's basically both. I mean, it's always a process. You know, what you have to do is you write the script, and then the script is 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 um, uh, is done enough uh, that it's ready to that we're ready to. Sh- and then you have to take off your, if you're directing, you have to take off your um, writing hat and basically say, no matter what I wrote, nothing is sacred. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to improve or change or do whatever to make the film better as a director. So, and it's why, why like, if, if the director and the writer are not the same person, um, you know, there's sometimes there's a lot of conflict there because uh, the writer's saying, do it the way I wrote it, and the director's saying, no, I'm you know, uh, this is a, a fluid thing. You know, it's sort of like the Constitution. The, the script is a fluid document. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you um, uh, to a director, and uh, and then you, uh, you know, unfortunately, you have directors that are that are writer directors that that say no, do it exactly the way I wrote it. Right. And sometimes they fall into traps. You know, so I've always been sort of um, free flowing when it comes to, you know, just open to ideas. Uh, whether they're mine or somebody else's on a set, I mean, you know, it's a it's a collaborative medium, mm-hmm. and uh, but ultimately, no matter what, no matter what people do, you know, I have the final say when it comes to all of it uh, in the editing room. Mm-hmm. So um, and on the set too. I mean, if something doesn't work, and I see it doesn't work, I, I change it right then and there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really curious. So. I'm curious, Dan, because satire. Uh, you know, it's very, it's tricky. You've got to walk a line. Otherwise you're going to go too far to one side or not far enough to the middle. What is the appeal for you? You come out of a, a very strong history background. You've done political stuff. 
you know, what is the appeal of satire and, you know, creating these satiric stories that are premised upon real life? The great thing about satire is you can take on incredibly serious uh, subject matter. Uh, and because you're poking fun at it, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to uh, digest. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you, you go see a satire, and by the time you're done, um, you walk out and say, well, well, wait a minute, that was actually a pretty serious subject. Mm-hmm. But you were, you were laughing too hard to, um, and, uh, you know, to even uh, digest the fact that it is a serious subject. And that's, that's the beauty of satire. It's, it's the, you know, every satire is, is, is a tragedy if, if it's good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some, some of my, um, you know, in, my, one of my main inspirations for the film it was a, a little film called Putney Swope that was done by Robert Downey Sr. back in, uh, you know, the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it, 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 it takes on a very serious subject, which is race relations, but it's, but it's hysterical. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a great little, you know, indie film. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so that, that's really the key to, uh, and, and the reason why uh, satire is, can be so powerful. Um, Do you like working uh, in this indie film environment as opposed to a bigger uh, studio uh, thing such as a Disney, you know, so, something like Disney or a Marvel or or even, well, Fox, since it will be soon be Disney. Uh, but I'm curious because of the, you know, the tent poles and the bigger studio uh financed or over or overseen works do you have a preference or um if the question is sort of would would you mind if someone gave you a hundred million dollars to make a movie (laughs) i would (laughs) wait let me think about that hold on uh let me give it some thought no uh yeah i would love a hundred million dollars to make a movie but the type of movies i like to make uh you know you couldn't recoup a hundred million dollars Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, at, at least now, but, um, on the other hand, uh, to me, the job of a filmmaker, as I said, is to, is to shed light on the human condition and to take on subjects that are, uh, not just controversial, but, but have, but, you know, to have some insight and some positive, um, you know, at least some, you know, have the have the um, have the viewer have the audience uh, uh, experience something that makes them uh, better people, or at least attempts to. Uh, and if if you could do that with a hundred million dollar budget, it'd be great. But um, you know, unfortunately, those hundred million dollar movies uh, don't don't attempt to do that. They they're they're pure entertainment films. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, you have to entertain to keep people's attention, but, um, but you also have to have some stu- substance. Uh, and there's a, there's a medium there. I mean, I'm, I mean the great filmmakers um, take on important subjects. Martin Scorsese, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, uh, 
you know, um, and, and they, they have big budget films that they, they have big budgets. Um, but, but, you know, they, 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 um, they started, um, with low budget films. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so th- there are exceptions where you you can get a big budget to do something important, mm-hmm. but um, but generally speaking, um, uh, you know, even even Spielberg and Scorsese aren't doing hundred million dollar films. Right. They're doing uh, they're doing thirty million dollar films, mm-hmm. which is still low budget to a to a studio. Oh yeah. So. Do you find so? Um, so what's that? I was going to say, do you find that working with the lower budgets that it forces you to be more creative in your storytelling? Uh, yes, 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 uh, uh, absolutely. Um, it's um, uh, you know you you have to um, um, you, you know you, you you know because you you don't always get the location that you want. Um, um, uh, hold on. Sorry. I just, uh, um, you don't always get the locations you want. You don't always get the, um, um, uh, you know, you, you can't always get all the, the, the production design you need, so on and so forth. So you're constantly making compromises and make, by making compromises, you're actually doing the, uh, um, you, you're actually doing, um, some creative work, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in a way it's, it's almost helpful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird, but it's almost helpful to, uh, to have a, um, uh, to have a, um, uh, to have a low budget in the sense that, uh, you're constantly looking at what you're, what you're trying to shoot and you're constantly modifying it and, Sometimes it, it it makes it better. I mean, once in a while it doesn't, but sometimes it makes it better. So, so yeah, it's a, it's 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 a, it. You have to be more creative in a low budget in the low budget realm than you do um, um, than you do on other uh, you know on big budget films. Big budget films, you do exactly what you need, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and so forth. So, so yeah. do you have a favorite moment in the film? <laughs> That you can well, actually love, voice. Uh, when, I love probably the the most outrageous scene, which is um, when Kiersey does her um, her performance piece. <laughs> uh, you know, it's I mean she she na- she nailed it. She's a great actress, and um, you know I uh, I think she's um, she's you know she's just so. Uh, um, I mean, she she really prepared a lot for that. And she just she just nailed it, and it just it it, it goes to you know it, it, there are a lot of issues that she brings up in that particular uh, scene, and mm-hmm. I think it's, she made it really compelling, and I just I I love watching her in that scene. And yeah, I never get tired of it. It's a very powerful so. scene, and as you said, a lot mm-hmm. of issues are touched on in that scene. Uh, some relating to the Me Too movement, others re- uh, you know gender specificity. I mean, just absolutely amazing and i could see where that would have actually been very timely 20 years ago when you first wrote this but yeah unable to be actually put on screen to get any kind of rating <laughs> the film could go into a theater um but 
And sadly, it is just as timely now, though, but the society has become such that it's more acceptable to now see this and able to find an actress who will and can play the part correctly. Um, yeah, she was, yeah, she was, she was amazing. She was amazing and the perfect actress to play that, that role. So, uh, you know, and, uh, where can everyone see the film? <laughs> it's going to be, um, uh, opening this Friday in New York and Los Angeles. And then it's going to go wider after Labor Day. So, uh, I believe in LA, you can see it at the Sunset Five, um, uh, right in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. the AMC Sunset Five, and uh, the AMC Burbank Town Center, I believe. Oh. And then uh, in New York, you can see it at um, the AMC uh, Kipps Bay, which is uh, their sort of premier theater for indie films. It's, it's great. Now, um, do we have VOD so, and digital information yet, or is that yet to come down the pike? Do they have what? Sorry. Do we have VOD uh, or digital or pay per view information, or is that further down the? Well, pike? it'll be out on on VOD. It'll be out on VOD. In, in uh, there's usually a three month window in between. Right. It's done theatrically, and then it comes out on VOD. But I don't have the exact date yet. Uh, so. Um, you know, we'll let it play. If it if it does well, then um, uh, you know it'll be a little bit longer to see the VOD. Oh, um, fine. But, I have uh, to wait to watch it again at home. Fine. <laughs> Just get it. You know, it's this is the kind of film that you really want to see over again because it is so richly textured with the dialogue. There's some incredible monologues in here um, that really make you sit up and take notice. There's fun. It is beautiful to look at. It is the kind of film that you do want to see more than once. Well, that's fantastic. And I'll even pay <laughs> I money. That. I will even pay money to go to the theater and see it. No, no. Your your money's no good. <laughs> you, you, um, I insist. <laughs> no, Emily, Emily will tell you that, no, I... I when I truly love a film, you know, especially a, a a small indie film, even though I have seen it, I have screened it, or I've gone to a press screening, I've done interviews, when it opens up, I still will go to the theater and throw my money into the into the kitty for it. Um, well, that's fantastic. Thank you. You know, and this is truly one of those films. I should make you go with me. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, Let me know when you're going to be there. I will. Well, Dan, I can't thank <laughs> you enough. This has been an absolute treat yet again. So much fun. I can't recommend this highly enough well, for people to go see in L.A. Same here. And I can't wait yeah. to see well, you. Well, thank you, Debbie. Can't it's wait. been a treat for me, too. I appreciate it. Uh, can't wait to talk to you again, and I hope you will come back on the show again. Uh, anytime. Just let me know. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Take take care. Bye-bye. That was writer-director Daniel Adams talking about his new film, An L.A. Minute. Catch it in New York and L.A. in limited release this Friday. And then after Labor Day, look out. Uh, Definitely put it on your radar, people. Um, It is very, very 
worth seeing. Okay, unfortunately, we did not get to hear any clips of my exclusives with Anish Shiganti or Timur Bekmanmatov today for searching. We're going to toss some of those in next week. Next week, Todd Berger, screenwriter of The Happy Time Murders, is going to be with us. Uh, can't wait to talk to him about that. Have to find, get his impressions on all these pop-up Happy Time bars that are popping up everywhere. Um, and we're going to talk about, got to ask him his feelings about felt. I'm ambivalent. And we're going to have Jonathan Berman with us calling all earthlings. So we're going to have felt and earthlings next week. That should be kind of interesting. That is all the time we have today. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.